0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious conversation starts right here and right now. And I'm so glad you tuned in. Because the culinary landscape is ever evolving. And on this show, you'll hear from chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs, and molecular gastronomers, food bloggers, and overall enthusiasts who love food and wine and so much more. Because I love to dish on fabulous food and spirits, travel, health, and living the best life. So, I hope you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me as it is my goal to feed your soul. Fresh strawberries are perfuming the markets and life will soon be a big bowl of cherries, literally, because spring is here, corn and tomatoes are getting sweeter, and the zucchini will overtake your garden in a matter of weeks. And there is lots of gastronomic inspiration at chefjamie.com so that you can cook to your heart's content. I'm always serving up seconds there. And you'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And don't worry, if you happen to have missed a show or maybe you'd like to master a topic, well, you can find my podcasts with outlined show descriptions on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So, let's get this party started, shall we? I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts. And I wonder if you've ever wondered what the difference is between brown and white eggs. Well, I know, newsflash, it's painfully obvious. White eggs are from white chickens and brown chickens lay brown eggs. Pretty simple, right? It's actually the genes that determine the shell color. White feathered chickens with white earlobes lay white eggs. And red or brown chickens with red earlobes lay brown eggs. And then there is a breed called Americana, although it's spelled differently than the traditional. It's also known as the Easter egg chicken. And since we've now passed that holiday, we will no longer see eggs with blue shells very often. But there is little to no difference in taste between the two brown and white eggs. And I'm here to tell you, and I hate to burst your bubble, but they are both equal in nutritional value. Now, this is an epiphany to many, and so this is an excellent conversation to have. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> when it comes to price, however, that's another story. It has uh, been noted that brown eggs are more expensive almost everywhere because the reddish feathered chickens that lay the brown eggs are larger than the breed that lays white eggs. And so they require more feed. And that's really the only difference in the pricing structure. So I will say whether the brown eggs color you impressed or not, you might consider The source. When you buy fresh eggs, you want to consider their freshness date and the source that they're coming from. Because if they are, uh, of course, local, then we know that they taste far more delicious than those that have uh, been left to sit or traveled far. Uh, I have a very distinct memory of stopping at a roadside stand for freshly laid eggs and actually going to a friend's ranch when she made breakfast in the morning Um, I thought I had died and gone to heaven because they had chickens on the ranch that laid eggs and there might be nothing better. But really when it comes down to it and you're shopping for eggs in your grocery store, I suggest that you look for the freshness date and you buy from a reputable company that you you know of per se or that uh, their name is, uh, you know, friendly to you. And with that said... Uh, then uh, color is really just a preference. Now, eggs are the most popular breakfast protein because they have heart-healthy omega-3s and protein and minerals and vitamins. And an extra large egg, if you didn't know, contains five grams of fat and six grams of protein, vitamins A, B, D, calcium, iron, choline, even antioxidants. So only 75 calories each per egg. And if you take out the yolk, egg whites only have 16 calories of pure protein. Now, for a while, eggs were believed to increase cholesterol levels and to cause coronary heart disease, but recent studies have now proven otherwise. Eating both the whites and the yolks, uh, now studies have proven, will not increase blood cholesterol levels unless you have a history of high cholesterol or heart disease, And nutritionists have proven that consuming cholesterol in foods does not significantly impact your bodily cholesterol levels. Now, as soon as the egg cracks into that hot pan, you see the white change, right? It's that translucent part of the egg white that whitens as the protein denatures and the yolk congeals and you get that creamy consistency and oh, you're dreaming of breakfast now, aren't you? Me too. Uh, Eat both together and you get a really good dose, the white and the yolk, of protein, essential fats, minerals, and vitamins. And if you didn't notice, I'm not really an egg white kind of girl. Bring on the yolk. Now, when it comes to the perfect egg, it's really a matter of taste But perfecting the cooking method is the first step to a textbook egg in any style. Now, hard-boiled eggs, which I make very often because I love egg salad or because I like a quick grab-and-go breakfast and I'll eat a hard-boiled egg, uh, are wonderful, but maybe you find them infuriating to peel. Well, more on that in just a minute. Um, I happen to like poached eggs oh so much. I like them slightly runny so you can dunk butter-soaked toast into them. And I do love fried eggs as well. I like the crispy edges of the white and the runny of the yolk. Now, back to hard-boiled eggs for a moment. They're easy enough to make, right? But they're difficult to perfect. Now, you've seen everything from adding a little baking soda to the water uh, to starting the eggs at a rolling boil, There are a bunch of tricks out there that will help you reach perfection, Uh, but there is a new technique I read about that sort of blows all the other tips out of the water. And I will uh, apologize to Julia Child, may she rest in peace, because for many, many years I have used her method of starting from cold water, bringing to a boil, boiling for one minute, turning off the heat, covering the pot, and letting the egg sit for exactly 14 minutes. And Julia, I followed your directions Perfectly. Then I would transfer the pot to the sink, pour out the hot water, run cold water for about five minutes, and then I would peel the eggs and they are perfect every time. They really are. Beautiful, bright yellow yolks, just perfectly coagulated whites. And I have to say, it never failed me. But eggs are not always easy to peel. So this technique that I came across made me a convert It's all about steaming them. It's not a new idea, actually. Uh, I think that great cooks have been steaming eggs to achieve hard-boiled or soft-boiled state for a while. But there was a YouTube video posted that I watched, and I just didn't think it should be kept secret anymore. So here's how it works. You pour about a cup of water into a three-quart saucepan, and you bring the water to a boil, and you gently place the eggs in the water... And you cover the pot and you set the stove to medium and you cook them for nine minutes. Then you take the pot off the heat and you shock the eggs in cold water and then you crack them. And I will tell you the shells remove with so much ease, it's amazing. And you do get perfect hard boiled eggs. So if removing the shell is your torment, well, then this is really the way to go. Now for perfectly poached eggs, here's how I do it. I like water in a sauce pot. Um, And I only poach a couple eggs at a time, gently simmering. I add a splash of vinegar or you can add lemon juice because it helps the egg whites to set more quickly and you get fewer of those wispy bits. And you need about uh, two tablespoons of acid, vinegar or lemon juice to the water. And remember, when you're poaching eggs, the fresher the egg, the more tightly the white will stay together. If you want to relish in the beauty that is the egg egg foo young, Italian frittata, the trending egg sandwich of sriracha mayo with cheesy scrambled eggs. Oh yes. The possibilities are endless and you can find some really delicious inspiration at chefjamie.com. Don't run out just yet because there is so much fabulous food and really inspiring conversation coming up in your radio. We have a full plate up next, we're blending Mexican and Southern cuisine with James Beard nominee, Chef Eddie Hernandez. So don't touch your dial. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, Feeding Your Soul, and there is more right after this. into the coolest culinary conversation on the radio. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Gastronomes cannot get enough of Taqueria del Sol's jalapeno cheese dip. Jacques Pepin raves that Eddie Hernandez's food is honest and full of flavor. And Martha Stewart says it's worth waiting in line for. USA Today called Taqueria del Sol a runaway success, and they have a James Beard nomination to prove it. Eddie Hernandez is a Mexican chef that spices up the southern kitchen, and his restaurants in Georgia and Tennessee honor his grandmother's culinary style and his Mexican heritage. And he's sharing recipes from his acclaimed tacarilla in turnip greens and tortillas, his first and just released cookbook. And I am thrilled that chef head Eddie Hernandez is here to dish. Hi, Chef. I'm so glad to have you on the radio.
2: Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, of course.
1: Uh, What was the first dish you cooked with your grandmother, Eddie?
2: It was actually, it was a vegetable. It was corn with cheese, queso fresco, and and what she used to do, and it was a trick that alone, she used to roast jalapenos and then add it to the Mm. the corn. And it, it was really, really good, and I enjoyed it a lot. It was one of my favorite things. Because she had a uh, a little uh, corn field, huh. you know, next to one of the restaurants, so we always had fresh corn.
1: Unbelievable! Is that where your sweet heat passion came about? Because you are known for uh, true Mexican heritage. And Southern style. And I love the simple approach. But everyone talks about how you add sugar to the grits to offset the heat of the jalapenos. Isn't that right? Yes. They <laughs> gonna kill
2: me when I go to New York. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing with, with salt and sugar are flavor enhances to me. It you know, to erase bitterness or to add a little more flavor to to the food. Right. So I don't I really don't care what people say about the use of the ingredients. My approach is to make something tasty mm. that people will enjoy. You know, regardless of what I put on the grid. It doesn't to me it doesn't matter. I, I actually did not know that you were not supposed to put sugar in it.
1: Oh, I, I think you are. I love the balance of flavor that way. And it's what you've become known for. It's what made your restaurants, as popular as they are, what makes your food so craveable. And I think everyone loves your story as well. You came 30 years ago to the U.S. from Mexico to be a rock star, right? Yes. Yes. How did that work out?
2: Well, actually, (laughs) uh, the dream was bigger than the talent. Ah, uh,
1: okay. (laughs) I I understand.
2: It it, it didn't work out quite the the plan was laid out. But nevertheless, you know, I discovered the United States and the way of living here. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I worked for Corp America and restaurants while I was trying to, to become, you know, successful in the music. And when it did not work out the way I planned it, I just moved on. I went to something else. And food is something that I was, I was always good at mm. because it was infused on me It's right. a way of living, you yes. know, It's the gig. You can, if you can cook, you can always have a job.
1: Right, and you can sustain yourself, right? Yes, and you also get to eat what you like. Yeah, that's, the, that's <laughs> the best part. And I think in a wonderfully ironic way, you became a rock star in the culinary world. I think if we cook any of your dishes for Cinco de Mayo, we're going to be superstars. Your restaurant serves... Thousands of tacos weekly, but your fried fish taco with the poblano tartar sauce and the pickled jalapenos always tops the charts. So can you tell us the secrets? Teach us to make your famous fish tacos, please? Yeah, I mean,
2: the the tartar sauce is very simple because it's made with fresh pepper. Uh, So it doesn't have the bitterness that the other ones will have. We do tons of different sauces, but I like that one because it retains the crunch of the pepper. Mm. and then we come back with the acidity part with the pico jalapenos. They are batter that we use to fry the fish on. It has a lot of different components on it for a reason. It has breadcrumbs to provide the crunch. It has masa to provide the stickiness so that it won't get off the fish very easy. construct to give it a little fluffiness, and so when you combine that with the egg wash, the the batter really sticks to it, mm. and you can actually do it at home really, really easy. It's like you make them fish sticks, right. you know, and then, you know, once you add the, the polano toro sauce and the pico jalapenos, mm. it changes everything, and now you got something that is really simple and delicious because you get the crunch from the fish, a little bit of texture from the sauce, and then you get the heat and the acidity from the jalapeno.
1: Yeah, and your customers can't get enough. Like, I understand they go absolutely crazy. People crave your tacos. You
2: know what a, a pregnant woman said to me one time? What? She was in line. And there was a, a, you know, we get a lot of pregnant women because now they believe that peppers will make her have the baby sooner. Yeah, yes, right. But this particular woman, I said, what are you doing? I mean, it's like, this is a pregnant women convention. And she says, Oh, you you don't understand, son. You know, before I was pregnant, I craved the fish tacos religiously every day. Now that I'm pregnant, it's a matter of life and death.
1: (laughs) The greatest compliment, chef.
2: (laughs) She said, you need to open on Sundays.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. Okay. I don't care what day of the week it is. I want you to know I'm making jalapeno cheese dip Tonight, that's a crowd favorite for your restaurants as well, and it's so simple. And uh, I think your patrons are thrilled that you shared the recipe.
2: I, I really wanted to share everything because I want not just my customers but people to to see the simplicity and the elegance of food. If you're not know gonna do it, all you gotta do is do. your give me place, you know. Do you prep work, grate your cheese, chop your jalapenos. And you're ready to go. And once you bring that meal to almost to the boiling point and you add the cheese and the jalapenos and you whip it, you're done. It's not a messy thing. It's something that you will do really easy. Mm-hmm. And the kids be on the table already waiting for the cheese dip with the chips because this thing is pretty addictive.
1: It is so nice to see your talents be acknowledged and you cook so joyously. And I really very much appreciate the homage to the blending of Southern American and Mexican food. And I love that you've chronicled it. In his first cookbook, where he shares the recipes from his award winning restaurants, James Beard nominated to be exact, the restaurants are called Taqueria del Sol. You'll find him in Georgia and Tennessee. But you can cook Eddie. Hernandez's food at home from the book release entitled turnip greens and tortillas a Mexican chef spices up the southern kitchen the book is getting rave reviews it's available everywhere at Amazon and beyond and you can follow Eddie's culinary adventures under taqueria del sol on social Eddie I can't wait to come have a taco with you and I wish you continued success
2: I would love to have you on. you whenever we can and if i if
1: i'm in the west coast i'm gonna be. thank you eddie so much as well thank you so much jamie as the delicious conversation continues don't touch your dial there's lots more delicious conversation right after this changing the world this weekend. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio to feed your soul. Josh Tickle is a Sundance award-winning film director, best-selling author, and a thought leader. His films and books focus on critical social issues, including alternative energy, conscious capitalism, and reversing climate change. His first movie, Fuel, won the Sundance Audience Award for Best Documentary. He recently co-directed the 2017 Lionsgate release, Good Fortune, and Josh's movies have won more than 40 major awards and have been selected as New York Times critics' picks, shortlisted for an Oscar, and shown in the White House. His new book is entitled Kiss the Ground, How the Food You Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, and Save the World. And it's being turned into a movie from executive producer Leonardo DiCaprio, also entitled Kiss the Ground. And needless to say, I am honored that he is here to dish. Josh, thank you for taking the time, and welcome.
0: Thank you, Jamie. Um, yes, of great course. to be on with you. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, I'd like to go back a few years to start telling your story, if you would, please. I heard that a while back, you were driving around the country in a diesel van painted with yellow sunflowers, and it was running on used fast food vegetable oil. True?
0: That is true. That's the veggie <laughs> van. Probably a lot of people van. saw that on the Today Show <laughs> yes. and Good Morning America, and just on the road. It was a very bright, vibrant van. But that was that was actually more than, wow, it's been almost 20 years
1: since I did that. And then bring us current today. So you exposed the harmful effects of biofuel. You continue to focus your efforts on climate change. What was the mission when you were writing Kiss the Ground?
0: Kiss the Ground is really about reversing global warming. and And it's doing that through food. So the book paints a really clear connection between what we put in our mouths, the demand that gets created, how that demand shifts agriculture, and how agriculture can actually sequester all of the carbon dioxide that humanity's emitted mm-hmm. into the soil, if
1: it's done correctly. I thought it was a- an absolutely extraordinary read, and it's fascinating to me. And I will say, I would like to consider myself on the up and up well read knowledgeable there was so much I learned I thought so interesting you speak to in the book the uh regenerative agriculture workforce and how they're really going to take this responsibility on, you call it humanity's greatest challenge, right? Well, it's exciting
0: what's happening with Kiss the Ground, the book, and folks can find out more at kissthegroundbook.com or get it on Amazon. The amazing thing is big companies are starting to buy this book and give it to all of their employees, big food companies, Mm. because they see that building soil is our greatest hope to stabilize the climate and to produce more and more nutritious food for more people, that's a really big shift. It's it's what we'd hoped was going to happen with the book. But seeing you know two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, eight hundred employees read a book, uh, it, and and whole companies shifting their practices of because let's face it, we've lost a third of our planet's topsoil since we started chemical industrial agriculture, really ramping it up in the seventies, and we've added two billion people. So we have less soil and more people. That's not a good recipe. A good recipe is more soil. And that's what the book teaches us how to do.
1: I know from reading uh, your prose in the next 10 years, 700,000 farmers will retire in the U.S. alone. That the average age of a farmer today is 65 years. So you're really speaking to the young people. To the factory farming system, right, that needs to change. Well,
0: I'm calling for an all-out food revolution.
1: Well, yes, of and course. What,
0: what, what we're really looking for, Jamie, is a million peaceful soil warriors. A million yes. people to educate themselves, understand this information, and go out into their communities, whether it's farming, whether it's policy, whether it's consumers, and begin the shift toward regenerating our soils. Our soils. There's only three places we can put carbon dioxide, the atmosphere, the ocean, and our soils. Can't put more in the atmosphere, can't put more in our oceans. Mm -hmm. That leaves one place, and that place is evaporating our soil. So we need to build those soils back up,
1: and we can do it. Okay, so very specifically, as consumers, as food lovers, as those who uh, bask in a beautiful meal and cooking and uh, buying from farmers markets and supporting our local communities, what can we do daily as as individual people not involved in the farming system uh, not you know uh, challenged by the platforms of politics on a daily basis how do we make a difference
0: all of us vote most of us in the united states who yes. are fortunate enough to to have the lives we have we vote three times a day that is every time we put food into our mouths we vote and look is it going to make a difference if you and i go have a fast food horrible hamburger today. Is that going to really change the world? No. But if a hundred thousand people say, no, we're not going to eat that food, we're going to eat this food over here, that shifts things fast. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you can do, look at the labels in your kitchen, look at the labels in your fridge and your pantry. Begin to look at those companies on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Are they really responsible? Are they really building the soil? If not, engage them. The second thing you can do, get rid of the food that is Making you sick and making the planet sick. If those companies are, in fact, practicing large scale chemical agriculture, don't buy their food. And the third thing is engage your local farmers at the farmers market. It's great that you buy their arugula and their spinach and avocados and all that great stuff. Engage them in meaningful conversation about their soil. Go visit their farms. Get involved in the process. Of what it takes to actually grow that food and make that soil.
1: What do you say to those who challenge the concept of global warming uh, as a whole?
0: I have no problem with people not believing in anthropogenic climate change. It is not my battle to, to say, look, we've definitely caused this. But here's the hard reality. We're going to have, according to the United Nations, 10 billion people on the planet in 2050. But at the current rate of soil loss, all A hundred percent of topsoil will be gone in 60 years, six-zero. That's according to the United Nations. So how are you going to feed 10 billion people with no topsoil? Mm -hmm. There is only one way we get through this, and it doesn't matter if you don't believe in climate change. The bottom line is we've got to feed more people, and we've got to feed them better food, not more chemical food. The only way to do that is with regenerative agriculture, by growing our soils, by not tilling, by taking care and using the extension Of the organic methods that we've known work for hundreds and hundreds of years.
1: It's really incredible to learn about all the research that you've done and to see it all compiled in one book. I found it very powerful. It made me feel uh, propelled to be more consciously responsible. So um, you have one more fan and follower in me, and I, of course, will encourage my listeners, save the soil, save the world, you say. Um, And really, uh, what's extraordinary to me about the book is that you have a plan of action, that there are ways that we can change for the better. And being conscious consumers is a good first step.
0: You know, this is the motto, kiss the ground. It's having reverence. For the thing that sustains us. That's what the book is called. That's what the movement is called. The nonprofit organization that inspired the book has also kissed the ground. But it really is a day to day practice. Like mm-hmm. people talk about having a gratitude practice or they talk about blessing their meal. We're talking about kissing the ground and really honoring and restoring the most beautiful and important thing uh, aside from human life, which is the the bounty of Mother Nature.
1: For generations and generations and generations to come. Uh, really, truly incredible work. Josh, when can we expect the movie? Kiss the Ground, the movie? Yes. I, I'm literally looking through the window at the
0: editor right now. We're about to turn in the cut for distribution review.
1: Oh, wow. If all goes
0: well, the <laughs> film will be out in, in, uh, in, in the fall, and okay. it'll be widely available on digital platforms, you know, all of the things that you watch your movies on these days.
1: Very online. exciting. Congratulations in advance, and thank you for your extensive work to save the planet. Josh Tickle says there is a solution to global warming, and it is all about our soil. So kiss the ground and read the book, the book, again, called Kiss the Ground How the Food You Can Eat Can Reverse Climate Change, Heal Your Body, and Ultimately Save Our World. It is a passionate read with contagious optimism. And I do encourage you to check it out. It's honest and hopeful and realistic and it offers something very powerful, and that is a platform to learn and do good. So become a friend and a fan and a follower at Josh Tickle, T I C K E L L dot com and read the book, Kiss the Ground, because we can all make a difference. Josh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your passion. It's a pleasure, of mine. Thank you. Thank for having you. Us. As the delicious conversation continues, we cover it all. What matters when it comes to the wide and wonderful world of food. So don't touch your dial because there's lots more delicious conversation coming up right after this. bring you wisdom from the prose. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Publishers Weekly gave vegetarian Vietnam, Cameron Stouk's first cookbook release a starred review saying that the outstanding collection of recipes showcases the diversity of Vietnamese cuisine. In the years that he's spent living and cooking in Vietnam, Chef Cameron Stouk learned about a tradition of vegetarian Vietnamese cuisine based on recipes devised over centuries by Buddhist monks. It is a lavish and beautiful lexicon of a cookbook on the vegetarian Vietnamese pantry, and I am delighted that Cameron is here to dish. Uh, welcome to you, Cameron, and congratulations. The book is really impressive.
3: Thanks, Jamie. It's Mm. great to be here. And um, it's so nice to hear the kind words about it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, of course. Uh, Tell us your story of of traveling the world for food, please. And the the motivation behind writing the book.
3: So I was already in this headset of thinking about um, how to make meat or seafood dishes into vegetarian ones, because our goal was always to replicate that for the person to not make them feel to stand out. So I arrived in Vietnam with that kind of thinking, culinary thinking. And then um, about six months in, my young son decided that he was about age four, he decided to be a vegetarian. Um, And so we kind of, our family changed our eating habits. Um, And then also I had, I'd I'd heard about this kind of subset of of Vietnamese cuisine, that there was a vegetarian uh, subset of it. And so I thought I'd like to look into it more. So Mm. there was kind of a Two or three things that kind of collided at once and then sure. off I went kind of you know checking out um, meeting new vegetarian cooks monks and nuns and home cooks and street cooks to learn um, you know the vegetarian food of Vietnam
1: it's a very fantastic culinary journey that has really propelled you to dig so deep and I think that's very evident in the book I wonder if the vegetarian lifestyle is widespread in Vietnam because you speak about a very segmented population.
3: Yeah, so um, roughly about twelve percent of the population are practicing Buddhists. There's hmm. other different homegrown uh, religions, um, and and of that, there's you know, if you're a, a lay Buddhist, um, so it's like if you're a devout Catholic, you know, you'd have fish on Fridays. They will eat vegetarian to the, the lunar calendar. So, when it's the new moon or the full moon, they will have a vegetarian a day or two days where they're eating vegetarian those days. Monks and nuns eat vegetarian um, the whole, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is you're seeing a change now with the younger, uh, you know, millennial generation of Vietnamese. They're they're eating vegetarian. I'd say more for environmental and health reasons as opposed to religious reasons, right? Um, which is seems to be more of the older generation, uh, which seems to be more of the religious and, and moral uh, reasons that they'd be eating vegetarian.
1: Sure, and I think that's really wonderful to note because it uh, alludes to the fact that the concept of sustainability and being eco friendly and conscious. Is worldwide to incorporate bold, lively, wonderful flavors of ethnic-infused cuisine into a vegetarian lifestyle is really phenomenal to me as a as a mindset, as a lifestyle, as an idea.
3: Well, and I think it, it follows um, what you're saying there. You're you're kind of describing mindfulness uh, and and you mm-hmm. know a mindful way of life and a mindful way of eating. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how the Buddhist monks and nuns practice, you know, yes. so they'll, they'll eat vegetarian uh, lunch and, and uh, breakfast and lunch. And then in the afternoon, they might have a light snack, but nothing else, because they want their body to be light and ready uh, for their early morning meditation. Hmm. Um, so, th- so that's kind of where it's coming from. But I, I totally understand my family has moved towards eating more of a vegetarian uh, diet, particularly because of my son but also because of how it makes us feel. And we try to, you know, add these global flavors from wherever we're living to our table. So it just happens to be that, you know, this is a Vietnamese cookbook. And so we have some favorites that we add to our table, you know, on a regular basis.
1: It's a beautiful book and your writing is lovely and it makes me want to cook and I can't think of a better compliment. So congratulations and kudos to you. Uh, I hope there are many more... Um, Ethnic-infused, uh, passionate works that come from um, from your palate for us to learn from. And uh, I will start with Vegetarian Vietnam. It is a passionate exploration of delicious, doable dishes, and it is written by Cameron Stoke. And it's S T A. U-C-H. You can, of course, check out the book on Amazon and everywhere and follow Cameron's travels at A Global Kitchen. Uh, safe and delicious travels to you, Cameron, and I look forward to catching up again soon when you have new inspiration.
3: Great. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today, Thank uh, Jamie. You. And Thank just you. to let you know, I'm, I'm already on the work for a Thai vegetarian cookbook.
1: Oh, so fabulous. The
3: So the inspiration is already there. Okay,
1: good. Well, you have an open invitation anytime. We'll talk uh, Thai vegetarian next time you're here.
3: Super. Well, happy cooking to you.
1: And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary curiosity. And I do hope that I satiated your appetite. I hope you'll tune in again next weekend and find podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. But don't leave just yet. Because I have my last bite for the hour to deliver to you. I love meat with fruit. I know it isn't everyone's thing, but I'm a big fan of adding fruit to savory recipes. Because as long as you keep the flavors balanced, fruit adds a really nice layer of sweetness and bright flavor. And grapes are for more than snacking. I love the beautiful colors, green or red or whatever you find. So take your pick and then buy thick bone-in pork chops for this recipe. For my pan-roasted pork chops with grapes, you'll sear the chops in a cast iron pan and then transfer them to a hot oven to finish cooking. This gives the chops that nice golden brown crust and they stay uh, really juicy inside. Then let the pork chops rest after you take them out of the oven, and you'll have time to make a quick pan sauce with shallots, thyme, and chicken stock. And then you add a big handful of halved grapes and a pat of butter to make the finished sauce silky smooth, and you have a really delicious weeknight go-to dish. I will post the recipe, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, And I will meet you here once again for more delicious conversation and inspiration in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.